I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Uh, today, Apple looking to further diversify its supply chain. Reports say it has accelerated plans to move some production outside of China. We're going to talk about possible timelines. Then one Wall Street firm says Amazon could fall 45% from here, given its exposure to inflationary cost headwinds and a potential impact from slowing consumption. Stock's already down by that amount this year. We'll talk to the analysts behind that call. And finally, the crypto contagion continues. Circle pulling its plan to go public via SPAC. That CEO will join us later this hour, D. Yeah, there's a lot to get to this morning, Carl. We're going to start with Apple and reports that it has plans to accelerate a shift which would see production move out of China that comes amid continued COVID lockdowns, which has spurred protests across the country. Several weeks ago, workers at Foxconn, the biggest contract assembler of iPhones, clashing with police following complaints about unsafe working conditions. You're seeing the video here. Now, India emerging as a possible candidate as a place that Apple could ship production, but a timeline for that move still extremely uncertain. For more, let's bring in our Steve Kovac and Seema Modi. Uh, good morning to you both. Steve, let's start with you. Replacing iPhone City is no small feat. There's a reason that China is there in the first place. Uh, it certainly can't happen overnight. It's going to take years, potentially. Yeah, that's right. And so there's, Apple is still heavily reliant on China, Deirdre. And what we're starting to see, though, especially this year, is them shift over, and I know Seema's going to talk about this in a minute, but shift over in a more significant way to India, whereas the last generation of iPhones, for example, they didn't start making that generation until this year. And then this time and this cycle, the 14 cycle, they started uh, manufacturing in India pretty much right away. So you can already see on the surface this acceleration of plans to diversify outside of China. On top of that, we're seeing them uh, potentially diversify their chips outside of China. Georgia. Tomorrow, TSMC is holding a big event with President Biden and reportedly Tim Cook from Apple will be there as well, where they're going to be opening this new factory in Arizona where Apple is going to be purchasing some of their chips uh, outside of the main plant in Taiwan where TSMC makes most of them. So we're seeing all these little hints and pockets, Deirdre, of Apple making moves to diversify outside of China. But again, their fate and destiny in the near term is tied to China and their decisions around these COVID policies. Seema, um, India has its own uh, political headwinds and risks, and Apple has been doing some assembly there for several years now, um, how quickly do you think a ramp up in that move could come? I think it takes time, John. Uh, what I'm hearing is that a seat from a senior source close to the government is that India is trying to bring some of Apple's iPad production to the country uh, that's currently being done in China. It, as Steve was just sharing, Apple, uh, or India rather, is producing the lower cost iPhone uh, models for a couple years now. And earlier this year, uh, Apple begun producing its flagship iPhone 14 in India. I think overall estimates show that about 10% of iPhones are manufactured in India, although uh, Gene Munster at Loop Ventures, he estimates that it will take uh, about five years to get to 35%. And part of the issue, John, is just getting highly skilled labor uh, engineers, IT professionals trained and specialized. So uh, if this iPad production is going to come to India, it's certainly going to take time and a lot of uh, investment in, in high-skilled labor. Yeah, talk about turning a battleship here, Steve. One of the points that the Journal article makes is that even if they have to stay in China, uh, at least Apple is working to diversify the suppliers within that country. 
Yeah, that's right. They're moving to different regions. And we saw this during or earlier this year, too, where they kind of shift their supply chain around in order to avoid and get around these lockdowns. It's more difficult in Zhengzhou where this uh, lockdown, the so-called iPhone city where most of the iPhones are made. Uh, it's a little bit harder to move stuff around, hence the warnings from Apple about a month ago now uh, that they're going to have uh, less supply than anticipated, especially among the pro line. Um, and then, look, it's also just about moving uh, some of the smaller products, not just iPhones, but things like uh, AirPods and watches to countries, which they've already done, but in an increasing manner, to Malaysia and Vietnam are becoming hot areas, mm -hmm. too, for those kind of smaller accessories products, let's call them. Yeah, so, so Seema, Apple isn't the only company that's losing confidence in China after the COVID-0 policy, after Beijing's crackdown on the tech sector, a number of issues. Um, so it's not the only one potentially looking at India. And one of the challenges there, which you just right. talked about, um, some of those government coordination challenges. Um, do you think that there will be a bigger push in India to sort of get that sorted out. What are the incentives there, especially if you see more companies looking to diversify, American companies looking to diversify out of China? No, it's, it's a great point, Deidre. And I can tell you that India fully sees this as an opportunity, given the issues with China, to sort of engage more with Silicon Valley, companies beyond Apple, to say, hey, India will be a great place to manufacture. However, when it comes to actually making that re reality, it, it takes time, not only because of a lack of skilled labor, but investment, um, access to good water. You know, for these chips plants, you need good water, right? And, and that just isn't the case in a country like India. It's possible, but it takes a lot of time. And that's why, as more companies look to diversify to a country like India, which is doing a lot to improve its manufacturing base, uh, at, but it's, it takes a lot of time. When, and having worked there, I can tell you, even just bureaucracy, getting access to land permits, uh, it's a lot of red tape that it has certainly improved over the last five to seven years. But if India really wants to make this a reality, it's got to improve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Tim Cook is a master at cutting through red tape. So we'll see how it works there as well. Seema, Steve, thank you. Now take a look at Snowflake and IBM. Diverging by more than 85% over the last 12 months, Snowflake hit an all-time high of just over 400 bucks a share last November. That stock now trading under 150 bucks. 12 months ago, both companies had market caps around $100 billion. Take a look at the current market value. IBM is at 134 billion. Snowflake is at 45. That makes it a great marker to think about what's happened in enterprise software, enterprise tech in 2022. But more important, Carl, is what happens next. Uh, not sure what's going to happen in 23, but it's probably not going to be the same as 22. Well, and John, if you look at those two companies, too, the reason I like contrasting them is that one was extremely buzzy, that being Stoflake. IBM, sort of one of these, what do we call them, Dynotech, an old legacy name uh, that has actually outperformed. However, I would say we're looking at a 10-year of IBM now, which is also helpful, um, hasn't created a lot of value over that time frame. Again, though, your question is good. What happens next? Is it the legacy plays that are going to continue to update and do better than the buzzy snowflakes of the world. Uh, we'll see. Continuing this conversation, our next guest pointing out EPS forecast for 2023 started to come down for the first time in two years and have further to fall as we enter, he believes, a recession next year. One area particularly set to take a hit, cloud computing and software, thanks to a slowdown in consumer spending and ongoing layoffs in the tech sector here to discuss. Satori Fund founder Dan Niles. Dan, good morning to you. Uh, please, you could be with us. 
what you're saying essentially is that things could get a lot uglier next year, especially in enterprise software and even with the hyperscalers like Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Absolutely, because if you think about where we were during COVID, every business had to get online. So everybody needed to buy software, uh, cloud computing resources to make sure their business survived. Now you fast forward three years and everybody's going out, we're going on vacation, et cetera. And the sale of goods is slowing down as people consume more services. And so now you need less cloud computing resources. You're firing people, so you need less consumption-based software. Um, and you saw that with Salesforce, right? When they reported, they took down for the next quarter their current remaining performance obligation, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, what is, what's the momentum of your business? People were thinking that would grow 11% in their upcoming quarter. They guided to 7 and they're the big bellwether in the space. So I think as companies set their budgets for next year, they go, well, we're gonna have a lot less employees than we thought. We need less enterprise software. We need less cloud computing resources, et cetera. Next year is when you see the issues in enterprise, when this 2022 has really been about slowdown in consumer goods, you know, things like at Amazon or, or Zoom or mm. Peloton, et cetera. Yeah, so investors have been trying to price that in, and you've seen certainly those multiples come down. However, you're thinking it could be worse than even the market's anticipating right now. AWS, for example, you could see the growth rate coming into the high teens. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about what they had to say, right, Amazon, everybody thinks of it as a retail company because we all get packages every day from them. But if you look at what really drives the profits in their business, I think they generated like $5 billion from Amazon Web Services last quarter in operating income, the entire company did two and a half billion. So it's really Amazon Web Services that drives the multiple for that company. And you saw them miss the quarter when they reported. And then they said exiting the quarter, revenues were growing at 25% in Amazon Web Services. And I think you're going to see that number get into the teens next year. By the way, you know that mid 20% growth rate's the slowest since 2014. So you're going to see things continue to come in there and I think that's the issue. These are consumption-based models, and consumption is slowing down for internet-based services. Hey, Dan, just to get you on the broader markets, you know, I mean, it's almost become uh, comical how consensus this year-end strength is, whether it's positioning or buybacks. Uh, it doesn't sound like you have too much to quibble with it, though. Uh, no, I mean, if you look at our tweets going back to October, we've been calling for a year-end rally. We're getting it. Um, we think we go through some digestion this week, but I think you're going to see a rally between here and Christmas because, you know, you do have a lot of positives in the sense that you've got the fear of missing out now kicking in. People are underexposed. China finally, after the, you know, social unrest they had a week ago, is getting off this COVID zero policy, which is good for end demand. And so I think you're going to see this rally. The problem is you're going to get to the end of this year and then you're going to have to report numbers again. And you're going to enter a pre-announcement period. And I think that's when things get ugly. So we still believe that after you get sort of this next bear market rally kind of running its last gasp, that you go and retest or break to new lows when you get into 2023, because now all those Fed rate hikes that you've had since starting since March, they now are starting to affect demand and slowing things down. And so our view is no different that this is just another bear market rally. But, you know, trying to take advantage of that and things are going pretty well. Dan, do you still broadly hate growth tech and software? Because I'm noting over the past 
few days Samsara, which, uh, you know, ticker IoT does a lot of sensors and tracking of logistics and inventory, just had blowout earnings up 20% after that. Smartsheet did well with a point solution on productivity that's able to deliver some pretty quick value into it. A bigger name focused on small and medium business hanging in there quite well. It seems like the software that people continue to need to solve near-term problems, even in a downturn, continues to do well. Is it cheap here or no? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing you need to think about. Most companies have a calendar year and fiscal year end. So every CFO is sitting down, and in general, everyone I've talked to is trying to figure out how to cut expenses because they're going to have less employees in 2023 than they initially thought. Their revenues are growing slow. And so I think if you try to focus on the small little data points, you're going to get yourself into trouble where you want to look at things like what's Amazon Web Services doing? What's CRM doing? What are the biggest companies in the world in their spaces doing? And of course, John, you're going to find small names that manage to buck the trend. But the problem is you're also going to get you know, these surprise disappointments where people go, oh, my God, security software, there's weakness in there. And you saw that obviously last week with some of the reports. And then you get you lose 20 to 30 percent a day. And so that's what we're trying to stay away from. And the, the names that we're trying to pick up, you know, the falling knives that we're trying to catch mm-hmm. is stuff where I go, you know what? I think Facebook, yeah, the numbers may be okay, but I can match that up with the short on Google. You know, take two, numbers got annihilated after they guided. Yeah, that might be that might be low enough, and I can I can short some other names against that as well in tech, in software where I've got these high multiples that are consumption based. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. And so we're back down to, you know, adding more shorts as the market goes higher, because the long game is we're going to enter a recession next year. We think inflation stays higher than people think in the services part of that, which we can get into. And multiples are on a trailing basis are at 20 times on the S&P. When CPI is above you know, 3%, the multiple is usually 15 over a 70-year average. So there's nothing really supportive here other than fear of missing out and the Fed backing off a little bit. And that's great. And we should get one, you know, another two to three percent maybe in the S&P and then it's over. Yeah. But you're not trusting it for the longer term. Um, Dan Niles, thanks very much for being with us this morning. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Still to come this hour, Tesla falling this morning as it cuts production in China, according to some reports. Details when Tech Check comes back. Stay with us. Check out shares of Tesla. They continue to trade in the red this morning, down more than 4.5%. The EV maker was the biggest laggard this morning on both the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. It is still leading the Nasdaq 100 lower at this hour. A report out by Reuters saying Tesla plans to cut its December Model Y output numbers at its Shanghai plant by more than 20% versus November. Last month, the company saw its highest monthly sales in China, of just over 100,000 China-made EVs since opening that Shanghai factory in late 2020. Year-to-date, down nearly 50%, Carl. Uh, D. meantime, let's turn to tech layoffs. It's been a big theme we've been following as more companies announce new cuts each week. Alphabet is one big tech name that's been safe so far. What does all that mean for investing in the sector? Joining us here at Post 9 today, CNBC contributor Alex Kantrowitz of Big Technology has a great piece called Why Silicon Valley Didn't Anticipate the COVID Come Down. Great to have you, Alex. Great to be here. One of the things your piece does is look at the mindset that was pretty uniform in the valley when things were flush, right? 
Exactly. I was astonished that all these companies predicted that the COVID behavior changes would last forever. I mean, clearly, once you're allowed to go out and go to restaurants, hang out with friends outside of your home, your Netflix usage was going to go down. Same with Facebook and things like Shopify and Amazon. So why did all of them build as if that would last forever? And what I found was that the thing is, if you don't plan as if that would last forever, and it does, you're in some deep trouble. So they all went after the, ma- the, the market, assuming that it would continue, even if it was only like a 10, 20% chance, because the risk is you either lose the market or you have to do what they're doing now, which is cut back a little bit, and they'd much rather do these small cutbacks than lose potential So you don't change. think they were caught, caught completely blindsided, right? They knew there was a chance this was a big pull forward, but you had to take that chance. Exactly. It was a calculated move. It was, uh, you know, they understood that the worst case scenario was a pullback like they're having right now. Their company still has their market. Lose the market and you potentially completely lose the game, and that's not acceptable for these companies. Alex, it feels like everyone is now pulling back except for Alphabet. We spent a lot of time talking about Google's workforce and how they're still planning to hire this quarter. A lot of folks think that they're going to have to ultimately cut. But it's interesting, this examination done by the information looked at, just looked at its workforce. Just 5% of employees generate the majority of its revenue. That's search. They've been hiring like crazy in cloud. Um, they are number third by a long shot. Can they afford to cut headcount here If they can't, where do they cut? I think every company can cut headcount. You know, there's always, they've done so much hiring throughout the pandemic that there's always a little bit of room to cut. And I would actually say we've probably only seen the very beginning of this cutting. I mean, if you look at Meta, for instance, it was at 48,000 people before the pandemic. It went to 87,000. Now it's cutting down 10,000. You know, Alphabet has had similar... What's Sundar Pichai waiting for? Why haven't they announced cuts, which is clearly, you know, what a lot of investors want to see from them? I think what they are hoping for is that the economy. So why do you cut? You cut in a dip where you have to show cost cutting to the market. So they're waiting to see maybe we're not going to go into such a deep recession or a recession at all. And if we don't do that, they can potentially make those changes with hiring freezes. Maybe the Fed tails off with the rate raises and then you're okay. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be sustainable into 23. I think all these companies are being hesitant, and eventually those cuts are going to have to come. Uh, Andy Jassy of Amazon uh, has been asked several times last couple of weeks whether he regrets that build-out. And he's sort of d- sliced it up a bit, right? He's talked about sort of the hardware infrastructure warehouse element, which maybe he doesn't regret. Maybe the labor, you could have been a little more discerning. But I wonder, you think that view colors their hiring plans over the next five to 10 years? Are they going to be more careful next time? I don't think Jassy has many regrets. I mean, yeah, he's talked about it. When you're going to do a layoff, you're, you're going to say, okay, we probably should have made, we made some mistakes we probably shouldn't have. But remember, Amazon announced that they're going to hire 150,000 people through the, through the holiday season. So again, they are seeing some shifts. You know, it's not as big as it used to be, but we just had the biggest Cyber Monday that we've ever had in history. So they are seeing some shifts and they want to win that way. And, you know, there is going to be these labor contractions for sure. Um, but I don't, again, like the, the meme is slow down. But with Amazon, I still see them putting their foot on the gas pedal. Mm. Finally, um, external dynamics, uh, return to office, uh, work from home, uh, the way in which some of the cities in the Valley, San Francisco, for example, have changed. Some argue not for the better. Do you think that colors all of this right now? Absolutely. I mean, I think companies are are starting to say we want to take control back from the worker. Right. We had a long period of time where the worker was effectively in charge. Right. If you didn't want to work in the office, you didn't have to work in the office for a while. You couldn't work in the office. They were putting unreasonable demands in some cases on employers to remain, uh, you know, working for them. 
And employers have seen that they, you know, they lost the power. And what we're seeing right now is they're trying to take that power back. So you hold this threat, of, and it's kind of manipulative, but they hold this threat of layoffs, they hold this threat of cutbacks off, and they say, now, now you're going to be in the office three, four, or five days a week. Now you're going to be doing what we want. By the way, those perks, they're gone. By the way, your raises, they're going to, they're going to have to be you know, a little bit less than they used to be. They'll use Wall Street as an excuse, but ultimately, if you speak to these companies' leaders, what they're trying to do is wrest control from the worker. And again, they're the, they're, you know, they have the money. So... They're able to do it. It's yeah. not as it's not the way it used to be. Yeah, it's a far cry from some of the benefits they were and the perks they were throwing. Not just the hiring itself, but the perks uh, back in the day. A great piece, Alex. Thanks for coming in and talking about it. Thanks Alex Cantor was John. Up next, Jeffrey says Amazon could fall 45 percent from here. They also picked one name best protected from a downturn. That stock when tech check returns in a moment. As we head out to another quick programming break, scan the QR code here to join the CNBC Financial Advisor Summit tomorrow, December 6th. We will discuss key themes of market turmoil, inflation risks, and macroeconomic headwinds while providing recession-proofing strategies for all investors. Tech Check will be right back. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A hotter-than-expected November ISM services number is driving the markets lower this morning. The index posted a 56.5% reading, topping Wall Street's estimate by almost 3%, at least 3 percentage points. That figure also represents an increase from October, which is fueling concerns that the Fed will continue hiking rates. Oil prices are slightly higher after OPEC Plus held their output targets steady. The organization agreed to stick to their October plan to cut output by 2 million barrels per day through all of 2023. This as a European Union ban and a G7 price cap on Russian crude oil kicks in today. And iPhone maker Foxconn reporting a slump in revenue after continued unrest at its China plant. The world's largest contract electronics maker reported the sharp drop in November revenue as the company struggles to contain a COVID outbreak among its workers. Foxconn said the fall was due to, quote, production gradually entering off-peak seasonality and a portion of shipments being impacted by the epidemic in Zhengzhou. John, is November off season? Is that the shoulder season for producing iPhones? Well, you, you need to have them made by now if you're gonna get them into the supply chain and get people buying them in stores. So I guess in a way it is, Bertha, thanks. Turning back to big tech, who has the farthest to fall in a bear case scenario? According to our next guest, Amazon, joining with a buy rating and a $135 target on the stock. Let's bring in Jeffrey's analyst, Brent Thill. Brent, this is interesting that you're saying Amazon could fall a lot further, but Meta, may have bottomed. Both of these seem to have uh, businesses, growth businesses, that are being affected by other things that they want to do. In, in Amazon's case, the cloud business is what's providing a lot of the profit, and the retail business is, you know, uh, is a drag. In Meta's case, the metaverse is a drag on social. Why is Amazon the worst bet? Hey, John, uh, thanks for having me. I, I'd say we, our clients asked us to do a bear scenario across all the mega cap names we cover in tech. And what we came up with is effectively, most of the numbers have been cut pretty hard for Meta. Uh, I think as Mark Zuckerberg said, a, a lot of the uh, investments in the metaverse 
are, are somewhat misfounded in the sense of that they're not, you know, completely dis defocused on social. And there's a lot of elements that that are still working there. Uh, numbers have been hit pretty hard and, and some of the expectations are, are massively down. For Amazon, I think we see a situation if the U.S. consumer continues uh, to uh, uh, decline, if you continue to see right now, Amazon AWS has the toughest comp of the year in backlog and revenue growth that will continue to decelerate. Um, so we don't uh, we like these names over the long haul. What we're trying to do is show kind of where's the most sensitivity and still we see Amazon, when you look at their actual uh, retail component and the in the and distribution, that piece still has a considerable amount of expense and demand could could dry up again for Amazon, AWS. You still well, have a very tough comp. I keep hearing about weakness in the advertising market. Uh, NBC Universal's own Jeff Shell just mentioning that again today. So in the bear case, where perhaps even Facebook is affected by that and continues to spend on capex in the metaverse. It doesn't have that far to fall, you think? Well, we, we still think it has room to fall. What we're trying to do is do an analysis of, of what if. And again, the what if has just been a little more severe on Amazon in, in the short term. Again, we're, we're talking super bearish scenario. This isn't our base case. This is like a very bearish scenario, again, if the market continues to get worse. So what we're trying to do is look at both perspectives, bull and, and bear. And this was a bear focused piece. This isn't our current thesis, but when we look again, right. uh, we, we think, again, there's multiple things at, at, at Amazon, including the ad business, could be under duress and will be under duress in a, in a tougher environment. Uh, so this is just, it's a it's a what if. Again, we're very bullish about the prospects for Amazon. You know, the AWS conference was very clear. They're the 800 pound gorilla in cloud. No one's going to catch them. They're so far behind everyone, uh, beyond everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right, but that doesn't mean that there could be downside ahead. So, Brenton, let's look at your base case scenario. I know you just outlined the bear cases. Um, you have buys across the board for the four mega caps that we're talking about. We just spoke at the beginning of the show to Dan Niles, who is a lot more bearish on those names, maybe minus Meta. He pointed to further vulnerability when it came to cloud computing, saying that AWS could see, you know, mid-teen growth next year. What do you think holds them up, especially the cloud units at the mega caps? Uh, if you think that spending is going to decrease next year? We don't disagree with the tactical bearish call. We've actually had a very bearish tactical call, which is we can't see the end of number cuts. We continue to see pressure on the consumer. Enterprises are spending less. I think the first half of next year is going to be a very difficult period. All these companies are going to have the white numbers clean. So we agree with the tactical bearish call. Long term, again, remember these names troughed three months before the market in the last downturn in 09, and they actually outperformed massively for a decade post. So what, what I think you have to look at is if your duration's the next six months, yeah, it's not good. There's no question. But if your duration's three years, it's starting to look really attractive where you see the multiples and where how bad the sentiment is. No one wants to own the group. Everyone's in energy. Uh, you're continuing to see, uh, again, our, our call volume is, has dropped precipitously. Uh, and again, it's just that no one really feels like they need to do anything until we get the these numbers reset in the first half of 23. And then what's the shape of Jeffries' forecasting recession in Q3 of next year? That could last four quarters. So we don't really know the shape of that uh, recession yet. So I think tactically everyone is holding out. They're on the sidelines. They don't want to get onto the field yet. 
Um, so our, our view, again, we're trying to take a short-term view tactically with things are tough. Long-term, I still think, again, if you look at the way these stocks behaved out of the last uh, recession, last pullback, you saw material outperformance. Because where's the energy trader going to go? I'm not the energy guy, but the XLE <laughs> goes up every day. At some point, <laughs> yes. right, we're going to see an inversion trade where money's going to come out of energy, healthcare, and other sectors back to tech. We don't think that time has come. We're not advocating for that right now. What we're doing is these what-if scenarios. We think it'll be sometime in the first half of 23 where tech investors will start to look at 24 numbers, and hopefully they're low enough. We start to see a reacceleration, but that time yeah. has not come yeah. yet. We are tactically no, bearish in the short term. It's going to be an interesting turn when it comes. I do wonder on Amazon, Brent, if, if you think in any way some of the actions they're taking on expense are out of their lane, meaning are there cutbacks you think are too cautious or investments that you think are too aggressive? Tech is too cautious right now. They're not leaning in. I mean, take Salesforce.com, for example, 15% headcount increase in, in the last quarter with the environment we're in. You're, you, you know, and so I've said this repeatedly, tech has done an awful job getting in front of this economic storm. They they haven't bought the coats and the backup gas and, and they're just, they've just, it's like they, they think they're not gonna feel it. And so these companies have to get in front of it. And I think many of your guests that have been on have talked about this. They're not in front of it and they still have to make these appropriate cuts. Amazon has to to do more. They haven't been as proactive as they they need to be, as they, they, they could be. And I think ultimately you're gonna see bigger and stronger actions in Q1 of 23, we, we we talk about it being the black ice quarter. It is going to be, I think, still pretty gnarly in the short term. Mm. And we still have a lot of pain still yet to come from that perspective. They have to make a more proactive cut. Okay. And that's, again, across the board. That is not just an Amazon comment. That is a comment for Salesforce.com. We're seeing at Microsoft. You see across the board, they have to make stronger cuts. All right. Brent Thill from Jefferies, thank you. Thank you. Little over two hours into trading this morning. Let's get to Christina Partsinevelos with a market flash on what's moving. Hey, Christina. Hi, Carl. Well, we've hit the last month of the year when most people have already checked out. No one here at CNBC. But the Nasdaq is currently tracking for its worst month since the great financial recession in 2008. And it would need quite a wild ride upwards to break that stat. So take a look. Only the, take a look actually at the Dow. It's down, what, only about 5 or 6% year to date versus the Nasdaq. It's lead over the Nasdaq, the widest since 2000. Big news today is the push higher in oil as there was no change out of OPEC plus and Beijing moving towards reopening its economy. And that's why you have some Chinese names that are doing well, like Baidu and Pinduoduo. Those are the biggest winners on the Nasdaq 100. You can see Baidu up 4.5%. And then semiconductor names are outperforming. I'm using the word outperforming very loosely because Skyworks and KLA are in the lead, but they're up barely half a percent right now. Look at that. KLA switched. It was up before. And it's an uglier scene for cloud names. Cloudflare, Snowflake, Asana. They're all down, what, Cloudflare 7%, Snowflake over 6% lower, and Asana down 6%. Asana's actually down 14% in the past week. We're also seeing some weakness in payments and fintech, this after a strong cyber shopping week. A firm is down, look at that, eight, over 8% at this moment and block over 6%. And lastly, Paycom and Palo City, uh, cloud HR names, they're down about, about 5% or so. I sh and this is PayPal. It's a, the only outperformer today, but just barely. John. Christina, thank you. Uh, one more check on Tesla. We do want to mention Tesla this morning denied earlier reports that it might cut production at a Shanghai factory. The stock's still near session lows, Carl. 
Meantime, John, coming up in a few moments, crypto company Circle terminating its plans to go public via SPAC. That comes after revealing exposure to FTX. CEO is going to join us live when we're back in a couple. Welcome back. Workforce rebalancing has been a major topic in tech. Here's some highlights from our Tech Executive Council Summit with how leadership is thinking about this environment. More Tech Check is next. I think the primary concerns for 2023 is going to be the business slowdown and then how that impacts the talent. We see what's going on uh, in the economy, um, layoffs, the pace of change just in hiring, the patterns, um, the speed that's going to be needed to get quality candidates um, the job that they need for their families. The challenges we face in 2023 is ensuring that employee experience stays at the top of mind. It's hard to expect customers to love your company before your employees do. Only a quarter of cybersecurity talent are women, and we can do more to make it an even playing field. Talent parity in terms of building diverse teams should become a priority. Quick news alert this morning, a report from Business Insider indicating that Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield is set to leave Salesforce in January. We have reached out to Salesforce for a comment. There's a look at the stock uh, in a pretty red tape today, down 3%. D. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, crypto company Circle and former Barclays CEO Concord Acquisition Corp calling off their $9 billion deal to go public. Our Kate Rooney joins us with the company's CEO to discuss. Can't Kate? All, All right. Thank you, Deirdre. Uh, joining us now, Jeremy Larry, CEO of Circle. Jeremy, thanks for your time this morning. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Absolutely. So I want to start with uh, the regulatory side of this. It says here in the release, Circle's SEC registration didn't get over the finish line, essentially, in time. What was the hangup? on the regulatory side. Yeah, so um, as noted in the release, um, the S-4 was not made effective by the outside date, which was approaching this week. Um, what I can say is we made tremendous progress over the past year with the SEC. Uh, the SEC, I think, is doing a very good job understanding this market, understanding our unique business model and this company. And we're very confident that we will ultimately become a public company here. Uh, but just this particular transaction in this time frame uh, was uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, timing out. Uh, we obviously were also able to share our uh, Q3 financial results uh, alongside this with, uh, you know, close to $275 million in revenue, uh, positive net income, free cash flow. So a really solid uh, high growth business on a year over year basis. And, you know, we're just situating ourselves, uh, you know, to continue to build this and ultimately uh, build and 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 uh, and list the company at the appropriate time. And Jeremy, I want to ask you about some of those Q3 numbers. Circle was profitable, you said, 43 million in net income. Is that sustainable based on what is going on now with crypto? And is Circle's business taking a hit from what's happening with FTX? Can you talk a little bit about your exposure here? Yeah, you know, fortunately, um, you know, Circle itself is not a risk-taking business. Uh, we're not uh, investing capital. We're not a hedge fund. We're not a prime brokerage. Um, you know, we we uh, we operate uh, a stable coin, a dollar digital currency, USDC. Um, that's proven quite resilient uh, during uh, this you know whole year, really. Um, and and while it's a little bit off of its its uh, height from earlier this year, we've actually seen some strengthening even post this FTX situation. Um, you know, I think there's a flight to quality and a flight to safety. And in the current environment, I think we're very well situated. I think there's a lot of eyes on. Where does this industry go from here? We've always been very focused on how do we build real utility value? How do we take dollars and make them 
uh, efficient and usable on the public internet. That's what digital currency allows for. That's been our focus and our business model, and we think that's going to serve us well uh, as this industry continues to build. Jeremy, I want to go back to the SEC approval, or rather lack of it. You're attributing the termination of this back to timing out of the transaction. Um, can you speak to that SEC approval? What were the outstanding questions? What was the hang-up here, or is there a reason that you can't tell us? Yeah, no, I, I think um, uh, w- one can, uh, you know, review this, the kind of filings that we've made and the, you know, r- relatively minor updates to our filings uh, over the past couple of months. Um, I think we were making really good progress. Uh, like I said, I think the SEC is doing a very good job. Uh, their job is obviously to make sure that companies that are going to be listed in American capital markets have robust disclosures, robust risk disclosures, financial disclosures. Uh, you know, accounting rules around uh, crypto evolved this past year as well. That's affected any publicly listed company with with digital assets. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think from our perspective, um, you know, very good engagement with the SEC. And hopefully in the future, um, at the appropriate time, uh, we'll enter the public markets um, uh, in, in some other way. So to be clear, Jeremy, I, I didn't really hear a reason there. Is there one or you're saying that we can go back and look at the updates to figure out why that the SEC still had questions. Yeah, I I can't share the details of, you know, specific questions that go back and forth. Um, Ultimately, when we do uh, uh, go through a a public listing, all the back and forth comment letters are made public. Uh, And so, uh, you know, that will just uh, take place in due course. And Jeremy, Circle signed this deal in what was a bull market for crypto last July. There may be questions about a $9 billion valuation based on what's happened with crypto stocks and the industry in general. Was there any pushback from your SPAC sponsor on the price tag? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we negotiated uh, our, our, our revised deal and announced that, I think, in February uh, or so. And uh, we had a subsequent major financing event in May, uh, which valued the company at close to $8 billion dollars. Uh, that was a, a modest discount from the the DSPAC, uh price. Um, you know, we've seen a thousand percent year-over-year revenue growth. Uh, we've seen this, you know, cash flow generation taking place. So the business has strengthened. We're in a very good position. I think we're one of the few companies in this entire global industry that has this kind of performance. And I think we're situated for this utility value phase. So, um, I, I, you know, my my view is, you know, valuation is a moment in time thing, and uh, we'll continue to see, uh, you know, how, how this company gets valued in the future. Got it. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate your time. I'll send it back to Debo. Okay. Thank you for bringing us that. Let's stick with crypto. Africa's first ever major Bitcoin conference underway today in Accra, Ghana, with crypto in a tumultuous moment following the collapse of FTX. Our Mackenzie Sigalos is there on the ground with more. Mackenzie. AD. So for the next three days, we're hearing from some of the biggest names in Bitcoin who are actually more optimistic than ever about where the industry is headed now that a lot of these centralized crypto companies like FTX and Celsius have been exposed for their bad business practices and wiped out. They think it makes a very clear case for Bitcoin because it's the OG cryptocurrency, which prioritizes decentralization and security over all else. Now, part of why this conference is happening in Africa for the first time this year is because it's where you're seeing 
totally organic grassroots adoption of Bitcoin. With payments, you've got the Lightning Network, which is that layer two tech built on top of Bitcoin that's trying to replace existing fiat payment rails. That was a major topic today of several keynotes and panels. Now with the Lightning Network, it makes money transfers around the world, even those in fiat cash, instantaneous, instantly settled and cheaper. We're also talking a lot about Bitcoin as a savings technology because even though its price is volatile, in countries where there's rampant inflation and its local currency has lost most of its value, Bitcoin can become safer than your neighborhood bank. We've got Jack Mahlers from Strike and Block CEO Jack Dorsey on deck for tomorrow. So a lot happening today here in Accra, guys. All right, uh, Mackenzie, thank you. If you missed part of the show, remember, you can follow and subscribe to the Tech Check podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check will be back in just a moment. One more thing this morning, Elon Musk saying Apple has, quote, fully resumed advertising on Twitter, making the announcement over Twitter spaces this weekend, just days after saying he visited Apple headquarters and met with Tim Cook. And then there's Amazon reportedly looking to increase its ad spend on Twitter to $100 million a year as the platform starts offering a slew of new incentives to bring advertisers back into the fold. John follows quite a bit of reporting, suggesting at least that Twitter's internal expectations for weeks like World Cup week are well below their target. Makes one wonder what uh, Elon Musk's goals were in sort of pushing some of those buttons, whether it wasn't shoring up some potential sources of revenue to pay the bills. Yeah, the, the ad space is going to get very interesting in 23 with uh, Disney's and Netflix's ad-supported models. Uh, we'll see how Twitter fares. One thing that we didn't mention, guys, in the crypto block, a bull call from Bitcoin enthusiast Tim Draper. He was saying that Bitcoin will hit $25,000 next year. Uh, he's said a lot of things over the years, guys. This is a big call. Uh, what was Kathy Wood? Still not as high as her call, John. Um, well, originally Draper had said 250000 by the end of this year. But then FTX happened. Clearly, that's not happening. But he says he's going to push that out six months. I have my doubts about six months and, and Bitcoin being at that level. But hey, we'll see. Uh, I want to come back to that reported Stuart Butterfield impending departure from Salesforce before we go, Carl. This comes days after Brett Taylor announced that he's leaving. That's two key mm-hmm. acquisitions Benioff has made, bringing in uh, some entrepreneurial talent, all of a sudden going out the door. Yeah, meantime, Wolf uh, just cut to PeerPerform CRM. They say we've covered them for over a decade with an outperform all the way. Uh, but COVID pull forward, execution missteps, and M&A misfires, D, have created meaningful idiosyncratic headwinds. Yep, and we saw that comes a few months after that starboard um, call to the activist investor call against CRM. It's been having a rough year, down another 4% today. We didn't even get to stock-based compensation, but it has been a very dilutive company over the last few years, Carl. Yeah. Uh, Guys, busy week ahead with some data, obviously some retail earnings. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.